On behalf of Lineberg Information Services, this is Bob Keebler, and joining me today is Matt McClintock, author of the Lineberg Newsletter, No One Pays a State Tax Anymore, But Almost Everyone Has a Death Tax Problem. Matt, welcome. Thanks, Bob. Great to be here. Matt, you drafted a very powerful article for Lineberg Information Services entitled, No One Pays a State Tax Anymore, But Almost Everyone Has a Death Tax Problem. Matt, in your article, you focus primarily on two things. One is the fiduciary income tax, and secondly, step-up in basis. Let's talk about each of those. Big picture-wise, what paradigm has shifted? Why, why are we having this conversation? Well, Bob, I think one of the things that people need to bear in mind is clients have historically been motivated by the prospect of death tax. We've we've had a generation of estate planning attorneys. We've had a generation of CPAs and financial advisors who have trained clients to think about the death tax in the context of federal and sometimes state estate tax, this transfer tax that applies to the value of the property that passes when somebody dies. And as we know, with the American Taxpayer Relief Act that was enacted for 2012, we now have very high exemptions. They index for inflation. So far, they've indexed every year. And as a result, far less than 1% of the entire American population will ever face at least a federal death tax. But the thing to bear in mind is that there are really important other, frankly, more punitive taxes that apply to many, many more Americans than the death tax ever did. And through this article, I wanted to call attention to those other forms of taxation that arise when somebody dies. You mentioned it previously, the, the concept of the fiduciary income tax that the trustee has to pay, as well as the impact of capital gains tax that applies when we don't get a basis adjustment on property that is wrapped up in a trust when somebody later dies. So, Matt, discuss with me. Let's focus on this fiduciary income tax return. The, the way I understand subchapter J of the code is – after $12,400 of income, we're in the top rate. We also experience a top capital gain rate at that point in time. Um, under the DNI rules, we can, of course, pass out income, but passing out capital gains is a little trickier. Just give me the big picture, if you will, almost like a mental checklist of how planners should approach this and why it's so critical to understand these rules, where in the past, I think you're right, in the past, if we focused our energies on the estate tax, we were focusing our energies in exactly the right place. But today, our energies need to be focused on the taxes that are going to affect our clients. 99% of Americans are never going to face an estate tax. Uh, that's exactly right. And Bob, as, as we all know, the estate tax, we really kind of only care about that one time, and that's when somebody dies. But the fiduciary income tax, we have to worry about that year after year, sometimes quarter after quarter, so long as we've got a non-grantor trust or an estate that that continues. And I think the, the thing I really want people to take away from this paper is the importance, first of all, of working collaboratively. This is not a matter of the trust and estate's attorney just kind of handing the baton off to the CPA and just and checking out at that point. Because yeah, there are a lot of specific tax decisions that have to get made year in and year out. But I really wanted to call attention to 
the importance of the collaborative relationship and understanding the comprehensive nature of a beneficiary's needs. Where we might make an income tax-related decision that might mitigate income tax, whether it's fiduciary or, or we'll talk about capital gains in a minute, but if we make a decision that is purely driven by mitigating the fiduciary income tax, we might end up causing, frankly, more profound problems for the beneficiaries depending on what's going on in that beneficiary's life at the time that tax decision gets made. Specifically, I talk a little bit in the paper about this idea of sound administration making these tax-driven decisions. They can mitigate the tax, but there are sometimes hidden costs that go along with that. For example, if we've got a beneficiary who is on needs-based assistance due to a disability, any distribution from a trust to that beneficiary, even if that distribution is simply intended to carry out the distributed income and not capture the fiduciary tax inside the trust, if we distribute money to that beneficiary, that then becomes a countable asset or countable income to the beneficiary that could reduce their benefits or even worse, kick them off of their benefits altogether until they can then reapply for the assistance based on their needs. There's also the very real possibility that a beneficiary is embroiled in litigation of some sort at the time this tax decision has to get made. If the beneficiary is going through a contentious divorce, if the beneficiary is going through a business failure or has a judgment against them for a tort claim or something like that, the distribution from the trust, yeah, we can carry out the DNI and we can mitigate the impact of the fiduciary income tax, but that money could just easily get soaked up by a creditor or by an adversary for a beneficiary. So I really wanted to call attention not only to recasting the conversation around the death tax, but also get people thinking collaboratively so it's not just the CPA making these decisions, it's not just the trust and estate's attorney making these decisions, but, but these decisions are made in the context of a broader conversation measuring the income tax impact against the broader legal and creditor protection impact that the beneficiary may be going through at the time the decision has to get made. Matt, let's transition over to rethinking the death tax, this whole capital gain thing. Obviously, I own something when I die. There's a, there's a step up in basis. If I'm in a community property state, there's a double step up. But if we use portability, that property is going to come back to my spouse, and at her death, there'll be a step up, which can be very valuable. But if we fund the bypass trust, Obviously, there's going to be no step up without further planning. So what should we be thinking about? You know, why is this capital gains tax the new death tax? Well, I think the capital gains tax is the new death tax for a couple of reasons. Certainly on a go-forward basis, the more we understand the impact and the importance of basis adjustment planning, we can go ahead and we can be planning today creatively and proactively for our clients. But I would venture to guess that there are a lot of people, a lot of trust and estates, CPAs and practitioners out there who have clients with plans that have been in existence for many, many years. They may also have bypass trusts that are established now and they're they're irrevocable now. 
that we've got a lot of bypass trusts that we may never get another opportunity to go back and revisit and revise. So I think we've got to be thinking a bit more creatively about how we are administering bypass trusts or any kind of um, non-grantor trust so we can then get a, another shot at the basis adjustment when our beneficiaries die. But the dark side about that, to your point that you just made, is that when we bypass that surviving spouse's gross estate, we also miss out on an opportunity for a basis adjustment. So I wanted to go back and kind of think through some of the problems with bypass trust design and get people thinking creatively about how they're drafting trusts now or how they're maybe administering existing bypass trusts and realize that there are other ways to trigger basis adjustment strategically uh, without ending up causing the, the realization of some capital gains down the road. There's I also kind of planted the seed for this. This is another article that's in the works. But there there is a lot of value still in designing bypass trusts for surviving spouses. There are inheritance preservation benefits. There are asset protection benefits. There are remarriage protection benefits by having a bypass trust. But again, if we just do bypass trusts the way we've always done bypass trusts, we end up capturing all this appreciation that later has to get realized down the road at some point. So that's why I wanted to kind of get people thinking about the impact of capital gains tax and realizing that if we don't plan with portability, if we don't put things in a Q-tip trust, if we don't make distributions outright to a surviving spouse to later get a state tax inclusion, what are our options? And so I wanted to explore some of that in the paper. And the paper did a nice job of exploring that, Matt. So what are my choices? I can leave property to my spouse and obviously there'll be a step up, but we have some creditor protection negatives on that. Absolutely, uh, because and this is true if if the property is left outright to the surviving spouse or left outright to any beneficiary. First of all, the settlor or the original grantor loses control of what happens to that property. If this is a second or third or fifth marriage, that may not be a viable solution. We may have children from a prior marriage or prior relationships that we want to preserve that property for. Um, so leaving property outright to the surviving spouse can certainly frustrate our overall legacy planning uh, priorities. But we also are potentially setting up our surviving spouse or, again, any other beneficiary to be um, preyed upon by creditors out there by putting the property outright in the hands of a beneficiary surviving spouse or otherwise, we are not giving that beneficiary the protection of a third-party spendthrift trust that a bypass trust can largely provide. Uh, so, yeah, distributing property outright can certainly wipe out the tax problems, but it does not do anything to address the broader remarriage protection concerns or legacy preservation concerns that frankly, are very important and sometimes more important than the tax consequences for a lot of clients. So focusing in for a second on the second marriage situation, if a person passes away, say the gentleman passes away and he leaves property in Q-tip trust for his second wife, it will be included in her estate, but and then at her death, because it's included in her estate, 
she'll receive a step up in basis. And she should be able to shelter that property using her exemption plus whatever poured it over from her husband. But what can go wrong there, Matt? Well, Q-tip trusts, I'm a huge fan of Q-tip trusts, just for instance. I mean, I think, um, again, you've got the protection of the trust framework. You've got estate tax inclusion under Section 2044. You've got the ability to largely control the legacy. Uh, I think with the Q-tip trust, uh, again, I'm, I'm a big fan of those, you, you do have to allow the surviving spouse to demand or compel the trustee to convert non-productive property into productive property. And so you often have tension between the interests of the income beneficiary, that being our surviving spouse, who are seeking capital appreciation inside the Q-tip trust. And so, uh, again, I think a Q-tip trust is a great solution. I think that it just uh, it takes a lot of care in administration to balance those interests between the the income desires and demands of the surviving spouse and the capital appreciation interests of the remainder beneficiaries. Now, Matt, finally a tough question. Um, RevProc 2001-38, if the service repeals that, if that's the right word, um, how will that change your approach to using Q-tips in the context of portability, uh, where maybe you can leave property to a Q-tip, but possibly make a full Q-tip election, even if you haven't um, used up all your unified credit yet? Just so I can make sure I understand your terminology here, Bob, when you ref when you say in case the service repeals 2001-38, I'm assuming you mean that they would provide clarity that they will not proactively disregard a Q-tip election that's that's made, even if it doesn't reduce the the federal estate tax liability. Is that exactly. You know, I right. die. I'm worth four million dollars. Um, Someone prepares a 706 for my for my estate. They elect Q-tip treatment on the whole four million, porting right. my exemption to my wife and simultaneously with the hope of inclusion at her death. Right. Um, walk us through that. I mean, it, will that become kind of a very powerful technique in the right circumstance? No question. No question. And I will tell you, um, this is. Uh, uh, this isn't terribly off the record, I know, just given our context, but I've also had some really compelling conversations with some well-connected people um, that the, the just the very black-letter nature of RevProc 2001-38 indicates that it is taxpayer relief. It's not the IRS's relief. It's not the Treasury Department's relief. So in order to have a an unnecessary Q-tip election disregarded, it's incumbent on the taxpayer to then argue why the why the Q-tip election was made in error or was not necessary. So I I believe with a high level of certainty that the IRS will come through and say RevProc 2001-38 does not apply to Q-tips filed for purposes of making portability and creating the, the protective nature of a Q-tip trust. I believe at that point the Clayton election is going to rule the day as far as flexible 
marital deduction planning for surviving spouses. I think that we're going to see an influx of Q-tips. And I think it's just going to provide a lot of clarity for, frankly, what a lot of us already believe is the nature of the law. Matt, this has been an extremely helpful podcast today. And I think having our listeners hear hear you explain this um, goes further than the article ever could. So thank you so much for being with us. On behalf of Leinberg Information Services, this has been Bob Keebler, and our guest today has been Attorney Matt McClintock from Wealth Council. Matt, thank you for joining us. Thanks very much, Bob. I appreciate the opportunity.